Dong Earthlets, Conrad here. I hope you enjoy our coverage of the 1988 specials. Sadly, we've had a few difficulties with scheduling, so instead of having these episodes cover one week, we'll instead be putting them out this Monday and the next, but to make up for it, I'll be posting collected episodes on Friday for the rest of our 1988 coverage. We'll be collecting some of the best 2080s stories ever with some entry points for top characters. I think you'll really enjoy it. Thank you for your patience and enjoy the show. Splundig Verthrig! Brack dog Earthlets! My name is Conrad, and this is the 181st episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the exciting world of special editions, in this case, the 1988 sci-fi special. We're... We, we're seeing these specials become a testing ground for new 2080 talent combined with some excellent classic action. In this case, the in this case, some robusters insanity. The price of the special has stayed steady at 75 pence. But more important than that is my guest for this episode, friend of the show, Zane. Welcome to the show. Ooh, I'm back. It's been it's three times in a row. I'm officially a member of the cast now. Oh no, no, it's fine. <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I've like there's there's a bunch of people that have um, been on here uh, 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 a couple times, and yeah, I think of the I think of everybody as uh, as uh, those like reoccurring <clears throat> secondary characters, you know, right? Like right. sort of like uh, like like a Gunther on Friends, where he's sort of always in the background. I talk to him every <laughs> once in a while, or, uh, or Morn on Deep Space Nine, you know, just a, <laughs> a, a continual face faces in the crowd, you know, show up for an episode now and then. It's nice, you know. Yeah, it was nice of you to dust me out of the closet today. So. Oh, you know, listen, no, I'm, <laughs> seriously, I'm I'm stoked to bring you aboard and, and and have you look at this special because you're kind of an anomaly, I guess, along with Fox of just a uh, an American uh, read or you know an American who's interested in 2000 AD and just sort of working through a prog slog in the course of our episodes. Yeah, yeah, just uh, vicariously through the two of you. Definitely. So I guess, how are you finding this era of 2000 AD we find ourselves? This uh, late 80s, maybe after the initial golden age, um, smooth sailing but storm on the horizon sort of 2000 AD. <laughs> I, it, seem, it definitely feels like transitional a little bit um, mm-hmm. as things are starting to come in and out, um, reintroducing uh, robusters and then Zenith is something I'm really interested to see more about, um, and uh, I just I'm just kind of looking forward to hearing about all the new stuff that's going to come out that's um, that plans to be around for a while. So yeah, I think we're definitely getting just some more general yeah, just some more things are 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 coming in. Like you've said, Zenith is going to be a big one. Um, we'll see one or two thing or at least one thing here in in uh in, in this prog and yeah the new direction on a uh, on ABC Warriors you know aka Robusters is just a really really ridiculous i have to i i, I have to post more of that art on our on, on our social media feeds so people, so people can get a sense of what crazy stuff we're talking about here 
Yeah, I enjoyed this one. This one was pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, this one's a classic one from uh, from from back in the day. So it should. Be oh, it's a reprint. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. This the the, the, the Robuster story in this special is actually from like 1978. So it's kind oh, of, okay, it's got okay. Some, got oh, that's why it said. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it did have the logo for the old Comic Con. It. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, uh, one of these mixture. You know, all these specials are always mixtures of old and new. Like I always, I my. My theory for a lot of the stuff in these specials is that it's um it's an artist it's it's either artist or writers like audition like 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 entries like okay like here's a script like uh, draw a comic based on this like it, it's either that or it's just stuff from the vault that they're sort of tossing out there just to kind of keep it fresh in the readers' minds or something. Mm-hmm. And they weren't reselling like collections at this time, or they were, were they? a little bit. I mean, you can see like at the end of this um, of oh, this issue, right. actually, there's a bunch, there's a couple collections in like Forbidden Planet and things like they're just. Sort I of- asked that, and literally that came to my mind immediately. <laughs> so I kind of feel. Yeah, bad. no, <laughs> yeah, they are they are selling some stuff, but I mean, a lot of times these specials are often things that are not the most popular things or things that you wouldn't think to be um to be reselling you know at this point like the graphic novels are all you know it's it, it's all dread it's a little bit of new stuff like zenith or things like that or like bad company and things um but mm-hmm. a big robusters collection is a little bit more unusual for instance yeah okay okay yeah cool so let's get let, let's dive right into it uh the special opens on a field of stars and skulls where new character tyranny rex is holding woody allen by the neck with her tail yeah is, is there a cheap analyst out there <laughs> it's, excellent it's pretty ridiculous uh the the first time i read through 2000 ad um the uh the the, the files I, were re- I was reading didn't have any specials or annuals or or anything in them so I remember seeing this cover and being like, what the hell is going on there? And now <laughs> I can find out. So it's good times. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Um, on the inside cover, we see a, a Zenith in a Midsummer Night's scene, which is a bunch of Polaroids as the superpowered pop star meets a bunch of late 80s celebrities. And this is one of those things that I feel like both like is – is um age enough to be semi-impenetrable to new readers no matter what because the mm-hmm. celebrities are hard to recognize and just i don't know how many kids today know what a polaroid <laughs> means or whatever <laughs> as well it's very sad um but i got some help from the folks in the uh, 1977 to 2080 facebook group which helped me identify all of these uh famous people oh nice yeah so first there's someone who who some people are saying might be neil Tennant of the pe- of the, of the pet shop boys but might also just be a random like bouncer named neil so who knows um yeah that's what i thought it was at first <laughs> yeah i i think that might be it or maybe just a fixture on the london scene or something um mm-hmm. then there's comedian lenny hen uh, um henry lemmy kilminster from motorhead Model Maria Whitaker, comedian and TV presenter Jonathan Ross, a, a cameo from Zenith creators Steve Yole and Grant Morrison, singer and actress Patsy Kensett, who you might know as the love interest from Lethal Weapon 2. Oh, okay. Comedian Bob Monkhouse, and of course, Tyranny Rex. And then, the most famous. I mean, eventually, <laughs> I suppose. Um, <laughs> on the side there, there's text that's supposed to look like just um, an entertainment magazine, basically, but is ba- but is instead a difficult to parse text table of contents <laughs> and it does say that a uh, steve mcmanus is the special editor for this issue both of the uh, specials this year name a human as editor instead of the mighty thar which i don't appreciate because i want to keep no. my dreams alive <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of tyranny rex 
<sighs> Let's go. Two, three, one. Dirty Rex. Um, scripture about John Smith, art about Steve Dillon, letter about uh, Tom Frame. Let's get weird with Tyranny Rex. <laughs> yeah, oh man, weird. I know it must be tough because as we're recording this, I think only the first episode she appears in has uh, has aired. And even the second one, I'll tell you, doesn't really add a lot to her backstory or anything like that. So this very much comes out of nowhere as a brand new character with a big adventure here. Yeah. Is this supposed to be a one-off or no? No, um, this is part of a continuing story. We're, we're like, uh, Tyranny Rex is going to be in the prog and actually especially in these uh, specials for, a, for a, 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 a many years to come. Okay, so you kind of have to buy the sci-fi special to keep up with what's going on with Tyranny Rex. Then. I mean, I do feel like I learned things in the course of this special that shed some light on later thrills that when I read them initially in the prog, I was very confused by. So yeah, like uh-huh. this is an important purchase here because this also links into uh, the larger story of Indigo Prime, which is all another John Smith series that um, mm, he's, he, okay. he, he, he does in the progs here. But so, uh, yeah. It's a double O slash two dash 14 colon a in the morning and Tyranny Rex, who we've just met recently in our prog type timelines being checked by a doctor. There's some reference to the fact that she's a Sauron, which is apparently a nearly extinct race. And he discusses their ecology while checking a nature, a matrix style neck plug on the back of her neck. Um, he works for, uh, for Indigo prime, apparently, which we last saw in the future shock, a change of scenery back in Prague 490. Um, and they're where some uh, reality shifters offer to save the earth by us uh, changing the nature of reality or something. That future shocks leaking into friggin' it's, it's, <laughs> just a, it's a, just a big mess. Everything's just getting smashed together here. You know, there's no rhyme or reason to it. <laughs> As this happens, uh, so she needs a core scan and they bring in a fervent and lobe, a pair of us uh, of uh, cowboy psychics or silencers. They bicker a bit, but scan uh, tyranny and declare her to be clean. Later, at 00-6-53-A, uh, tyranny is working out on some parallel bars with a kiss my, kiss my fist tank top when Henry Foundation and Jerry Bassalt, the guys from that first Indigo Prime story, uh, shift into the scene. They're from Indigo Prime, and her universe is ready. As she strips down to get ready, everybody's very uh, confused. And at this point, I think, yeah, it's good times. I was confused, too. I was like, you know, they're just, she's just showing off, you know. The so, time, yeah. So. There's a lot going on here at once, like, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, they sort of take her to this big open room with a giant screen in it. And it seems like some alternate reality has been destroyed by a heat death. So Tyranny, who's an artist... Um, is being is is basically rented out a universe that she can do what she wants with, so long as she avoids the nodes that connected to other realities. Okay. Um, as she as she gets ready, Basalt uh, compliments her art, her soft bodies exhibition, which which we'll hear about later. But she says she's nervous. But in the end, walks up the ramp and goes into her rented universe. That's a pretty cool concept. I like that idea. Definitely, it's just having a the world like the uh, the. Uh, re, um, I'm 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 trying to find a scale here, but I guess infinity's largest <laughs> canvas, an entire universe, is to do with what you what you please. And she just makes the weirdest stuff, like not even that weird, but like you know, a giant hamburger. Yeah, <laughs> basic stuff. You know, she tries to make Earth, but that's too boring. She makes a house with a a flaming roof that recites Shakespeare and spits out flamingos. Just yeah, like that's, I said, random yeah, things. It's been done. Yeah. 
<laughs> but in the dark corner, the anthracenti is being formed. Anyway, <clears throat> speaking of dark figures, it seems that Woody Allen has manifested himself as well. <laughs> He <laughs> floats over to Tyranny, and she explains that she was in love once when she was 15 with a boy named Roof. And she turns Alan into Roof. He starts out nice, but Tyranny is pissed. Apparently, he sold her and her people out, and then they were all killed by the, sh- by the scene shifters. Yes. Doesn't seem good. Back in the control room, some techs notice that they're getting some weird static from Tyranny's universe. But surely, Fervent Loeb must have checked her. But oh man! <laughs> they <laughs> peek into the universe. There's messages of violence and death against the scene shifters that come screaming through the monitors. Better call the major. In the universe itself, uh, Roof tries to make excuses, but Tyranny isn't having it. Instead, she summons the Anthracenti, and it proceeds to seemingly cut a hole in reality. Uh, I was Man. wondering what the heck that was. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to put it together. Like, this is me sort of, I'm, right? I'm, I'm, I'm making some guesses. It's not really You're... laid out that well by the comic itself. There's just crazy stuff happening. <laughs> You recapping it for me is helping tremendously. <laughs> Doing my best, like you know, <laughs> trying to trying to pull these strings together and make a narrative out. It's not the easiest thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so soon, the boss named Major Arcana, which is you know like a, the uh, the tarot cards that have all the fancy names, yes, like the Fool and the World and so forth. Um, mm-hmm. But he shows up at the control room, and it seems Tyranny has managed to unravel at least twenty five, at least twenty percent of time as a con- Concept, which seems pretty bad. Um, it seems that she was just sneaking in to, met, to, to take out the scene shifters, and Fervent and Loeb were in on it, and now Tyranny's getting revenge for the deaths of all her people. Later, it's 57 slash 2 slash dash 03 colon A, and we see a guy in a suit trying to open indigestion pills as he chews out Major Arcana. They're both running down, um, they're both trying to catch Tyranny as they try to contain the damage she's done. We hear about more scene shifters named Winwood and Cord trying to fix things, and also some Imagineers who are doing some basically damage control public, public relations. The boss tries to fire Major Arcana, but instead Arcana shoots him in the head. Oh no. No. I didn't yeah. see that coming at first, actually, right good, away. Good chew out, good uh good uh superior murder. That's always a solid uh solid work for for employees, you know. Raising the bar. <laughs> yeah. Setting the stakes high. Definitely. <laughs> Tyranny might be a crazy non-human commie artist, but she does know how to lay- leave a mark. He says, as he looks out the window to see a giant nebula in space of Tyranny Rex flipping off into Go Prime, and it says, uh, <laughs> up yours, buddy, written in dark matter. Yeah. <laughs> That's good revenge, just written across the sky. I'm interested to see where this goes after that. Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, this stuff won't directly affect the Tyranny Rex we'll see in the progs right away uh, uh, later in 88, but it will sort of become part of a larger thing as we go forward and provides a lot of context for other stuff that I know I definitely found confusing during my first read-through. Yes. I'm probably going to have to listen to a few episodes multiple times in order to understand everything that's Piece it together a little more. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll do my best for sure. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure Fox will have questions as well. But it's very, um, <laughs> like, I I really like uh, John Smith as a writer. But he's, uh, part of what I like about him is that he's able to, like, make plots and develop storylines that can be very tough to follow <laughs> if you aren't paying attention. So it yeah. rewards reading closely, which I think is good. Excellent. Yeah. So 
And speaking uh, of a uh, dangerous technology, all right, <laughs> it's thrill two. What's up, Doc? <laughs> Uh, scripter about Hillary Robinson, art about John McCree, letting um, letting her about the Aldrich GTI. Oh, oh yeah, uh, first appearance in the Prague by or first appearance in 2000 AD by both Hillary Robinson and John McCree. Uh, Robinson will do a ton of writing for the Prague from uh, 600 to 700, and mm. McCree will eventually do some work in 2000 AD, but also will, will work closely with uh, Garth Ennis over the years in both. The spin-off comic Crisis and the Eisner Award-winning Hitman series for DC. Oh, exciting. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. At a research lab, a pair of scientists, Melda and John, have wired a plant named Horatio to a speech synthesizer and are testing its ability to communicate its feelings. It ooms when you stroke it and owls when you cut a leaf and yargs when you hit it with, 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 with herbicide. <laughs> that's i mean that's they're, they're straight up killing the plant i mean <laughs> i mean they're being right nice to it too it learns to say yes if you ask if you want it to be watered and stuff like that you know right i mean like that immediately the first two tests after petting it was to stab the plant and then to spray it with herbicide <laughs> yeah well you know you gotta establish those baselines then you're then you're nice to it over the long term or something like that i don't know i'm not a scientist <laughs> all right <laughs> i mean i grow plants for a living so okay it, so training them this way only only sets them apart to the point where they will dislike you if you do things like that right away. And they won't trust you when you pet them the next time. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. Official. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's true. Everything okay. I said. Fair. <laughs> I bow to your superior knowledge for sure. Right. Yeah, let's continue this. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> they soon uh, teach the plan to talk, but then things go wrong because suddenly government agent Fawn arrives to shut them down. That always happens. These feds. He accuses John of being a member of uh, the PEA, the Pacific Ecology Army, and he says he's faking a talking plant as part of an anti-government conspiracy. <laughs> faking the plants talk. Um, <laughs> in response, Horatio, the plant, calls him a face mush. Oh, geez. Incensed. Fawn storms over to unplug Horatio's squawk box, but Melda warns him that Horatio is a multiflora Alfonsi carnivora, which is not actually the scientific name of Venus flytrap, which is a Dianaea mescopolia. But anyway, yes. <laughs> that doesn't stop Fawn when suddenly a Venus flytrap-like head appears from, Horatio le from Horatio's leaves and bites his arm off. Uh, I was really hoping it was going to eat his whole body. <laughs> I mean, who's to say what's eventually going to happen? Like, it could be going straight to uh, Little Shop of Horror stuff here. Right, yeah. I mean, it could have. I was really expecting it to get really uh, gruesome in the next panel <laughs> or two as these two guys get eaten or something. But it just kind of stopped at the one-liner. No, it got straight to this pun. Oh, Horatio, you're supposed to be a fly catcher, not a spy catcher. <laughs> Everyone laughs as Agent Fawn just stands there screaming over the stump of his bloody arm. It's pretty good. <laughs> like when when one person screams and everybody else just laughs uproariously. You know, freeze frame. That's the end of the that's the end of the, of the sitcom. That's the end know? of roll credits, yeah, for sure. And this one ends with a half page and the other half is all ads for stamps, jokes, and football programs. Good times. Mm. Good comics things to sell. Yeah, stamps, number one thing. 
man, someday I'll get into these stamps. I'll get into the stamps and I'll start working out like Charles Atlas and it's all going to be yep. good. Yeah. <laughs> Buy your x-ray glasses and other stuff from Marvel. Oh, man. <laughs> what, like, I read an old comic, an old Silver Age comic that would just have like these big pages of, of like this one page and it's all just a thousand tiny ads. And, mm. you know, there's sea monkeys and all that stuff. But I remember one yeah. was just a fake beard. Like, <laughs> just like, oh, like, get your, give yourself sideburns and a goatee with this fake beard. Like, what the <laughs> hell? Your heck friends is this? will never believe it. Yeah. I just <laughs> couldn't, like, like, I didn't, I, I, I wanted to somehow travel through time and buy it just to see if it was just like straight, straight up a piece of plastic or if there was hair uh, attached to it or what. It could be anything. Let's start a Reddit thread of asking people, did you ever buy anything in a comic? <laughs> And see who what bought the spears. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of a uh, weird relics, artistic relics from the distant past or possibly far future. <gasps> Thrill three: The Art of Becoming. Uh, script robot John Smith, art robot Steve Dillon, lettering robot unknown. And this is a, a I believe, a single page art review of Tyranny Rex's art exhibit, Soft Bodies. Um, it just kind of gives them a personal background, but yeah, again, just kind of one page long. We'll actually see some works from this exhibit in Prague's uh, in Prague 597, mm. uh, but for now, we just sort of know that it's pretty disturbing, but also intriguing if you're some kind of crazy fine art person. Yeah, I actually liked um, it. It helped me learn more about who the character was, and then when yeah. I went back and reread some of it, I was like, okay, I get it now. So. Yeah, I think it's, I get it's, this ten yeah. percent of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of backstory to Tyranny Rex for sure. I don't know how much we get of it, but I'm interested in every every drib and drab we can. I'm I'm down with that for sure. Mm-hmm. But speaking of a character with a far, but um, on the other hand, a character with a far more established backstory. Yeah, yeah. Thrill <laughs> four, Strontium Dog. I really uh, like this one. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, script about Alan Grant, art about Colin McNeil, letter about Mark King. The town that died of shame. And I'm usually against non-colors to scare Strontium dogs, but McNeil does a pretty good job at a at a at a, having a similar style. So I'm going to let this one ride. Okay, because I actually really liked some of the art in this one. <laughs> oh yeah, no, there's there's some good stuff in here for sure. Um, so we got mutant bounty hunter Johnny Alpha is on his hover bike. He finds a fence covered in rotting corpses and a sign reading Mutants Keep Out. This one's full color and it's real real gruesome, but also really cool. That's a really awesome picture. I like this. Yeah. He moves forward, vowing that someone will pay for this as he kicks down the sign. As he rides on, he uh, spots a flash of metal. It's an ambush, but he uses his skip-dip hover cycle to autopilot away through to draw enemy fire and then come up shooting and take those guys out. That was clever. I thought that was cool. It's good stuff. I mean, what I love about so much Strontium Dog is this idea of this uh, sci-fi Western, basically. Yeah, this really gave you the Western feel to it, too. Oh, definitely. I mean, just so much of it. But even this one is like a a thing you can do in a Western where you kind of have like, you know, you spot an ambush. So you're sort of you ride on the side of your horse. Mm -hmm. um, And then when the when the bad guys are like, whoa, don't ride in that horse. And you come up and you shoot them both. It's good times. (laughs) Um. So Johnny checks the corpses, and it looks like they're both wearing obviously hand-drawn deputy stars. But what law are they enforcing? Deputy. Deputy. 
Uh, he rolls into a nearby town, calls everyone out by blasting the water tower with a number four cartridge, and demands to know what's the deal with these dead mutants. <laughs> I like how we just destroyed their only source of water. <laughs> they can That'll get out. their attention. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> the townsfolk plead ignorance, but have that slump shoulder downcast look of the obviously lying when a voice rings out, It ain't your business, mister. It's Marshal Abner. And clearly, this is a bad guy, Marshal. He's given himself the position as opposed to being uh, um, empowered by any law enforcement. He, because Especially when he says that he killed the mutants because one of their mutant kids stole from his store, which ain't no good. He had to kill one to make an example. And Johnny's like, you killed a kid for shoplifting? But as he That's does, not how this works. No, he uses <laughs> his alpha vision, which is like X-ray vision, basically, just because he realizes that the, the that um, Sheriff Abner's talking so tough, he wouldn't do so without backup, and so he uses alpha vision to see two guys waiting inside the deputies inside the sheriff's house. Um, to dealing with this, he uh, he uh, keys his skip dip to go flying right through the wall of that of, of that place takes out the goons and just spends like about half a page uh, just beating Abner's face in, which is pretty cathartic. Yeah, I loved it. It was great. Real good. But after he kicks his ass, he says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm taking you in for trial. The townsfolk try to explain what happened, that Abner and his goons made him kill those mutants and leave their corpses out in the open and stuff like that. But Johnny isn't hearing it. He makes them give those give the mutants a funeral, and when they say, We done our best, Mr. Alpha, could you forgive us? He says no. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. <laughs> It just gives him this whole line of text about uh, we're so sorry and we're ashamed and scared and he's like no no get out of here <laughs> he says uh, yeah this town's got blood on its hands for not helping those folks in their time of need and when you got when you need that much forgiveness the only way to do it is with a sacrifice uh, Johnny rides off with Mar- with Sheriff a- with, with Abner chained up behind him. And Abner's like, you can't drag me 100 kilometers back to the city. And Johnny's like, I won't if you run. But that just drags him <laughs> off. <laughs> the townsfolk are so ashamed at their inaction to not help those uh, fine folks that they decide to leave the town forever, burning its buildings in sacrifice to try to relieve their shame. The end! The end. Oh, that was really good. I really liked that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was one, I really liked it because it really was this kind of space western thing. Like, you could definitely have, maybe not a movie, but like a TV, like like, like an episode of like Gunsmoke or one of those like old school TV show, um, western TV shows. That yeah, oh, was was sure. just this plot, and maybe you like change the uh, change the mutants to some other like a you know group that's not popular in the old west or something like that, and mm-hmm. it, it'd be exactly this story pretty much. And I think that's really neat because it just like it does a really great job of just sort of bringing the mutants into that role and and, and that stuff. Yeah, uh, it was very solid. You know, I mean, like you've got how Johnny does his job. How he how he checks everybody, how we they used his alpha vision, you know, they had a good fight, you know, and yeah. uh number four cartridge really well. use. I always appreciate that, you know, and right? then just some real uh, hey, like don't be jerks to each other, you jerks. And it's like, oh man, he's right. 
<laughs> yeah. So my one thing that I wanted to ask yeah. isn't aren't most mutants like all these skeletons look like normal human skeletons? And don't they aren't mutants usually kind of weird looking most of the time? Oh man, it varies a lot. Like, um, because sometimes it might because like uh, a a mutant can be anything from like having big ears, like I mean real big ears, but but still okay. just like big ears or an extra <laughs> finger or something like that. Mm-hmm. To like guys that are full on like uh like like uh Star Wars aliens or something, you know, like oh like I've just got a big eye stalk instead of a head or something like that. There's gotcha. A lot, there's a ton of variance among the different mutants and things. Okay. Like the big I I think I think the big thing to know like the the only real rule is that generally mut- mutants don't have powers that that lets them do stuff like with mm-hmm. with Johnny being the uh the, ex- the sort of the exception there, you know. Gotcha. Like it's just kind of like otherwise, you know, most of the mutant ability, most of the mutant things are just sort of like, oh yeah, like listen, I've just kind of got like like I've got wings, but I can't fly, you know, or I'm right. completely okay. be- like, um, you know, my head's a giant egg. Like that's not a superpower. <laughs> that's a super weakness, you know. <laughs> yeah. Got it. And speaking of trying to figure out a confusing future, let's go to Thrill 5, The Ballad of Halo Jones and Smart People. <laughs> smart People. I don't, you know, that's what it's called. I don't know. Um, I know. I loved it. <laughs> so, uh, it, it's filler time here in the old uh, special. Always a fun time. Um, although I think this filler is, this first filler is pretty interesting because it's uh, cast photos from the stage version of 2000 AD classic Halo Jones. Oh, do you know? Yeah, I think the costumes look really cool and they kind of have like, just yeah, a lot of people like uh, doing kind of hoop kind of things um, and hanging around this uh, futuristic like a Lloyd's insurance building in London apparently, which uh, from what I can see just seems to be a building that somehow has a lot of catwalks and air ducts and things like that. So you can really set a good science fiction uh, photo shoot inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey the future yeah um we talked early like in a in a in, in the episode before this they actually announced some dates for this play and um i know we sort of mentioned if if, if anybody had actually seen it what it was like and i would love to he- again I, I i'd love to hear firsthand accounts of just what the uh what the halo jones stage play was like that like it seems really interesting i guess just says sort of a like there aren't a there aren't a lot of adaptions of 2000 ad things especially non-judge dread things so yeah that's this was really surprising to me when i saw it and then i went online on youtube to see if i could find anything on it and there was some interviews with some of the cast members and they kind of did some bits from the play oh wow Um, oh man I i should look that up that sounds really cool i gotta check that out Okay. <laughs> yep. I don't know, man. I'm a whatever. Sorry, I'm not being a, trying to. I'm, no, not, I'm not being an asshole. Like, oh no, you're not. You're not. I was just. I didn't mean to make it sound like that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, listen. I'm. Yeah. No, I think that's really awesome. I'm. I'm. I. I, I am in fact kicking myself for not checking that myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing I did. Was like, I wonder if this is on YouTube. It's but usually yeah, my first so. impulse too. I don't know. I, I just assumed it. It's all completely lost or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know. But you wanted to hear from the fans. That was your first thought, though. Yeah. Um, I do say also I really love the the the, the Toby the robot dog costume, although it, yeah. it's hard to make out in the darkness of these photos as well. Yeah, I didn't notice that too until I saw the video of him in yeah. the costume, and it like looks it's got so hands funny. and stuff. It's interesting. 
Um, next up, there's photos from a recent Comic Con in London, which has a lot of uh, 2000 AD folks in attendance. We see photos of a uh, of uh, artist Liam Sharp, writer Win Wyatchek, uh, Alan writer Alan Davis, artist Mark Farmer, uh, writer Pat Mills, artist Kevin O'Neill, and Dave Gibbons, as well as a bunch of just general convention things like you know stands selling various memorabilia and other things like that. Seeing these pictures of these guys really put into perspective for me how young they are because all the time i'm thinking like these are older guys doing this and i just seeing how young they are at the time of this was kind of cool definitely i mean i think of those as older guys too but it's because what interviews i've seen of them and stuff they're all from <laughs> like they're all fairly recent so they are kind of older guys you know yeah, yeah. Okay. like it's, yeah. it's one of these things you got to remember like all these things are like 30 years ago also oh, so it's kind oh. of you know Gives you a sense of this time and place, but it is cool. Time is a flat line. (laughs) Something. You know, time the Avenger. That's what I say. Um, Yeah, cool stuff. Always fun to see these guys just sort of hanging out and like doing doing comic book things, you know. This is that era where comic cons were about comics instead of movie announcements that are vaguely related to comics. Oh, I shake my fist. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of a thirst for revenge... Yes. <laughs> Drill six, the pleasures of the flesh. Um, script robot Grant Morrison, art robot uh, William Simpson, letting robot Gordon Robson. You are Venus Blue Jeans. You are a genetically engineered clone warrior modified for hostile environment combat. Weapons rating 100. And it seems that our old friend from the, the from Rogue Trooper, Venus Blue Jeans, has uh, survived that island being that she was on being bombed and is now alive and well and living in some kind of uh, video game death sport kind of thing, which is the worst thing to be living in, honestly. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there's obviously better video games out there you could be living in. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of my tops. Like, I was going to say The Sims because you're just kind of in a house, but no, that's just asking for trouble. <laughs> that might be horrible. I don't yeah. know if I could handle that one. Like... <laughs> Maybe like Animal Crossing, like all you just kind of do is kind of run around and like shake trees and stuff. It's not too bad. Um, (laughs) But um, we see her um, facing off against some deadly robots. And there's a lot of like second person narration here. Like a pair of of furnace fits threaten you. What do you do? And then we see like other people are kind of watching it. We, uh, We zoom in on a tech, Drain Webboy who's been designing stories all day and it's time to get some get some relaxation by doing some skin games with Venus. Yowza. Mm. <laughs> we learned that this company picked her up before the island she was on was blown up. And now she's been hooked into this games program in the called the Dreamorama. And I guess it basically just kind of lets the uh the audience member like like a uh, jack into their into her sensorium while she does stuff, I guess. It's very kind of cyberpunky. Like that's she's what a, I got out of it. Yeah, like she's a gladiator and she's basically fighting things. As these techs have like wires going into their brains, they can like feel like her her as she experiences this combat. Like it was a lot of talk about like a uh, like her muscles moving and like uh, the experience of danger. And yeah, like that. they get to experience it while she's doing it. It's, yeah, it's weird. So. Um, but finally, so suddenly Venus has had enough. She breaks her bonds, and Webboy sees a body fly out of the arena with a mighty choom. 
<laughs> it's another one of the techs, and he's like covered in blood and dying. He's like, "Help me!" And he's like, "No!" And Webbo's like, "No way, man! This is like a new jacket. You can't. <laughs> I can't touch you. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is dirty." <laughs> the door bursts open, and more techs come running out, but are cut down by machine gun fire as they go. Where did she get the machine gun? I think she <laughs> was just not disarm her. I, I think she was using it to fight those uh, those eight, those uh, those robots. But I don't know. Like the the container she was in was bulletproof or something like that. But now she's like broken free, and the bullets work on humans as well as they do on robots. One way or another, though, uh, Webboy comes in. He sees Venus as free, armed, and not pleased about this input they 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 they, they, they put in there to, to feel her emotions and stuff. So instead, she jams it onto him. That was all. Yeah. 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 Like, take that. <laughs> a lot of neck implants, this uh, special. At least two. But, there uh, was two, yes. Yeah. Like like uh, the other one was in a Tyranny Rex. But now a uh, Drain Webboy is a software designer with a weapons rating of zero. <laughs> it doesn't even get a one. <laughs> <laughs> He's up against an angry former experiment. You run from the thing you brought into the world, the thing you fear, the thing you crave, your fire, your desire. Man. Which is just funny because there's like a heart song. There's, there's a song by, by the band Heart that has that lyric. It's like, I'm yeah. your Venus. Venus. I'm your fire. Your, your desire. desire. <laughs> it's good times. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought of, too. Uh, I mean, all I think yeah. about is the commercial with the razor, though. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, used as like a, a razor for uh, intimate female areas. <laughs> On TV, ridiculous. Yeah, Venus Blue Jeans just really getting into all the intimate areas with bullets, though. She's everywhere you want to be. But yeah, this this was a fun one. I like this one a lot. Yeah, this was really good. Um, The art on the end when he's in the game world, I really like, too. The up-close shot of him. Yeah, I think... Cuts and lacerations look really nice. Definitely. Will Simpson does a lot of really good detail stuff. I I, I like the first page in this one as well, just with the... uh, with the color and Venus running around and stuff like that, I think that's really good. He's a pretty good um, just uh, uh, color artist. It adds to his to his painterly style, I think. Yeah, I at first I thought this was gonna have those weird. Uh, I thought it was gonna be like one of those weird sexual tendency things, mm. but uh, thankfully it didn't turn out that way. But yeah. you know what does have weird sexual tendencies in it? Oh no! <laughs> Thrill Seven, Judge Dredd. Oh, getting into my action here. I see how it goes. <laughs> uh, script robot Alan Grant, art robot Phil Elliott, letter robot Thomas. First time he uh, we've seen Phil Elliott, though he'll do some coloring in the magazine later on and was an artist involved in the British small press comic scene in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We're, we start off in a rare forested area of Mega City One. There's some ladies that are having a naked chant dance around a bonfire, as you do. Um they chant we can i've been doing it wrong all this time you know i mean just gotta (laughs) go with what comes natural you know they they chant uh we can rise with the fire of freedom truth is a fire that burns our chains we can stop the fires of destruction healing is a power running in our veins they're at the uh, greenham civil park no no playing running eating or music and dread is investigating The women call to Gaia, and Dredd interrupts them. They start to scatter, but when one of them gets shot in the leg, they surrender because they aren't perps. They're like, geez, you didn't have to shoot us. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> they say they were doing this ritual to repair damage done to the green world by, you know, this mega city one that we're all living in. But Dredd is not impressed. To the cubes! 
At the Grand Hall of Justice, Dredd talks to Chief Judge Silver, and apparently this Gaia stuff is happening all over the city. Uh, women, like, just they've arrested like 50 of them over the last month. Women have just been having visions of this goddess Gaia and start doing naked rituals in wooded, in wooded areas. You know, it's, it's, it's a fun time. Uh, but Dredd doesn't buy this mystic stuff, and he's worried it might be part of a terrorist plot or something like that. So he requests a deep sigh probe. He gets it and heads down to the deep side vaults to meet with Judge Corey. We first hey, met. Welcome back. Yeah, we we just met. We first met Prague Corey in Prague 471 when she scanned the brain of the exploding man and got real emotional about it. The exploding man was this guy that like uh, got caught in the explosions of in the uh, yeah in the first like like bombs dropped in the apocalypse war. Okay. And absorbed a bunch of radioactive energy. He was probably some kind of mutant or something. And then walked all the way to the Grand Hall of Justice, like full, or all the way back to the existing Mega City one, all full of radio- radioactive energy, and blew up a sector house in revenge for the judges not protecting them. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's but right. Judge Corey scanned his brain and got all weepy about it. You know, that's how it kind of goes. Um, <laughs> she, she scans one of these Gaia ladies. And gets a ton of messages about saving the earth and finding power within yourself, things like that. She confirms this isn't some kind of conspiracy or deeper meaning, and then refuses to go deeper into the uh, ritual, the occultist's brain, because any further could could uh, harm her. Um, they, she has an argument about this with Dread, and she storms off. And Dread requests a male sigh for a second go. Can't trust these ladies, I guess. <sighs> I thought he was going to bring Anderson in. Oh <laughs> man, you know, um, you know, Anderson's way too flighty for this stuff. You need someone who's all business, like this unnamed male psychic guy. Um, She's too busy um, in her own book, anyway. Oh, definitely. <laughs> She's got like demons to fight and stuff. There's a lot going on. Although, um, we 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 will see. Actually, uh, I, I think next um, in a 1989, um, Judge Anderson and Judge Corey do in fact hang out and even like go out for a night on the town and stuff, which is pretty nice. Just oh, like, nice side judges hanging out and stuff. I mean, it goes wrong, of course, but for a second, it's nice. <laughs> uh, it would be the problem it didn't go wrong. You know, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good day in the town. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this us. Uh, Male Psy arrives, he's got a Psy amp, and he just goes straight deep into her brain, which causes her a lot of physical pain. She cries out, and the other prisoners decide to do something, so they join hands and start chanting, calling out to a number of uh, of uh, goddesses. Isis, Astarte, Diana, Hecate, but especially Kali! The voices rise as one in a uh, bu- um, in a bunch of different fonts, you know, as you do. When suddenly mm-hmm. a very Picasso-looking multi-armed death goddess incarnates in an energy form. It's really cool looking. It is pretty cool looking. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, <laughs> she attacks Dread and the others, blaming them for the abuses against women through the ages. She named checks like a uh, foot binding and witch trials and other things like that. As you do. Uh, yeah. The male su- the male side tries to take her out with a psyamp, but she kills him with her psychic sword. Oh, no. Uh, Dread shoots, but the bullets do nothing, as you'd expect. Instead, he's got to think fast. He runs through the cells where the cultists are chanting and shoots them instead, which ends the incarnation. <laughs> that was real close, too. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Corey comes, too. She explains that the women's chant must have triggered something in the prisoner, which then flowed through the psyamp and caused a larger problem, which is just t- bad times. 
Luckily, Dread has just stunned these cultists, or this story would have been much rougher, frankly. Um, it is still, <laughs> though it is still pretty rough, as it appears that Gaia worshipping has now been, ba- has now become a banned religion in Mega City One, and all of its practitioners must be exiled for 10 years. Oh, but what's this little bit at the end here, Conrad? Yeah, it's cool. The women all head out chanting as they go, and when they do, a couple sprouts, a, a, a couple plants sprout from the ground. As they walk away. Ooh, the power! (laughs) (laughs) I'm your Venus. (laughs) Oh, no, it's all connected. (laughs) (laughs) I will say the, uh, the, all the Kali chants were actually pretty similar to, um, like what they did, what they saw when they looked in Tyranny Rex's brain in in, in that story as well. So, fair amount of like interconnection between these new stories. It's this entire um, sci-fi special. special. You know, they like, I think they, sometimes they, they do pull through these and kind of find a bunch of uh, similar, of things, one or two similarities. Cause it's, 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 it happens too often to just be a coincidence. That's what I say. Right. Um, anyway, back in the Omega City One main library, Judge Corey heads the banned book section and reads the, uh, and checks out, uh, Gaia, a new look on life, uh, or sorry, she she reads the book uh, Gaia: A New Look at Life on Earth by J. E. Lovelock, which is an actual book that uh, is expressing this theory, this uh, thing called Gaia theory, which is that there's a larger consciousness that surrounds the Earth and sort of does what it can to uh, maintain homeostasis and things like that. It's sort of an alternate concept about like global warming and a couple other sort of big uh, climate uh-huh. and and global concepts. Um, okay. Yeah, it's been described by scientists as a nice idea, but not actually borne out by the facts, which is, you know, how you do, but still fun. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Judge Corey will return in Prague 614 and the 1989 sci-fi special next year. Yeah, all right. Yeah, interesting. Should be good and bad times for Judge Corey, sadly enough. She's too good mm-hmm. for this world, I'm afraid to say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, if only she'd start dressing up in a really nice suit. Got it. We're, g- g- and yeah, speaking of hot tunic action, <laughs> it's Thrill 8 Robusters. Appreciate these assists, man. This is awesome. I'm trying. <laughs> Script robot V-Gross, letting robot, or sorry, art robot Ian Kennedy, letting robot John Aldrich. So yeah, classic 2000 AD action to finish us off here in the special. Um, actually, this is Star-Lord action, the 2000 AD spinoff that um, did for several years. Yeah, it's like, I got us, at some point I'll do the full research, but I know the Star, that the, uh, the Marvel Comics character Star-Lord does predate the British comic Star-Lord, but he was a very minor character in 1978. Like, you wouldn't think to take the name and use it for anything, really. Like, it's easy to make it up on your own, I'd say. Right. And what do they care about those one shots back then? It didn't really mean as much. Yeah, and I, well, I mean, like, it's this whole, like, concept of, like, British comics, this, like, hatch match and dispatch theory, where it's like, all right, like, we're, like, if one comic's successful, we'll make a comic that's very similar to it. And if it stands on its own, that's great. But if it doesn't, we'll just merge it back in with the, uh, with the original comic and hopefully get some more readers that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Weird stuff. It's so different from American comics, I guess. <laughs> I like it though. I think it's a really great way to continue to salvage stuff, and then you yeah. have artists who aren't losing work, and they can keep going without having to reapply for places and search for stuff. They just we're going to merge these comics, and these are the ones that we want. You guys, are, these are the ones you guys are doing. Here you go. Continue it up. 
Yeah, for sure. I think it's a, like it's something that that you can uniquely do to these anthology comics that they have. Where you have like four or five in each, or sometimes even like six or eight in each issue, so they can sort of pick and choose and have a lot of things going on at once. You know, it's it's just such the big divide between American between U.S. and British comics, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a doggy dog world at the time. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, strontium doggy dog. Oh, transitions. <laughs> anyway, it all comes back to 2018. <laughs> Shout out, yeah. So, um, the, these adventures appeared in issues in issues 13 and 14 of Star Lord from 1978. Oh man, like 10 years ago now. I'm freaking out. <laughs> and I guess also 40 and 30 years ago, but whatever. Um, I've made some serious jumps. <laughs> yeah. One day they'll be ABC warriors blowing things up in the far future, but now they're just sort of in the moderate future as a Thunderbird-style disaster rescue team. Are you familiar with the with the Thunderbirds? Uh, just the name. You know, it was this uh, series of... Uh, it wasn't... so. <laughs> It Go wasn't on. a cartoon. It was a Mariamation or something. It's it's a basically it's it's basically what uh, Team America World Police is sort of based on. Like, yeah. Okay. That look of like, oh yes, here's this action, here's this story, but it's not a cartoon. It's a bunch of like marionette puppets walking around and stuff like that. Uh, 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 there's an anime, a Japanese show called Thunderbolt Fantasy that just came out here last year. That's all done with puppets, and it's fucking amazing. Oh man. <laughs> I, I don't know if I like those. I, p- puppets freak me out a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it is a little unsettling, but <laughs> Absolutely. English voice actors are the guys, most of the guys from Dragon Ball Z. So, oh, excellent. <laughs> the Robusters are this disaster rescue company. We see their multi part plane in its like four or five parts fly into the, into the 2078 Fanborough droid show as Hammerstein complains about being the burning Hume. The over, overseer droid forces him, and soon Hammerstein is wearing this very, like, Ren Faire, like, tunic and bowler hat kind of combination. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, as um, cyborg millionaire Howard Quartz displays the Robusters' rescue skills, and so they basically have, like, a, a mock-burning building, which Hammerstein comes pulling out of, like, oh, I'm a fleshy human and i'm on fire help me <laughs> and hammerstein and, and, and so rojaws hits it with a fire extinguisher like don't worry hume there's painkillers built into the fiery tartan foam <laughs> it's ridiculous um quartz tries to call in his uh his eye in the sky droid chatterbox he's supposed to be monitoring all this but he's disappeared <sighs> Why? Well, let's flash back to an hour or so ago at the London Heathrow Aerospace Port as a bunch of robot pilots make their way to their pl- uh, to their plane and one of them, Roger, talks about how he longs for some flying action after he watched the movie The Battle of Britain. <laughs> I love these uh, these interiors of this bustling airport and stuff. There's just so much going on in like the backgrounds the, and stuff. The backgrounds in this uh, issue are amazing. Absolutely. Like all the the inside of the cockpit too, and the bottom right there is yeah. really good. It's really cool stuff. They ha- he gets aboard his plane a Boeing seven nine seven, and we see it's got just like four wide rows of seats and like a big glass ceiling and things like that. Some good good futuristic plane stuff here. <laughs> um, he takes off, but they're heading into a storm. And just after the steward, the uh, the uh, robot stewardess explains that uh, they've got all these fail safes to prevent something bad happening if they get hit by lightning or something. Oh, they're hit by lightning, and the navigator is destroyed. 
<laughs> so much for that. Roger then goes haywire. He thinks he's some kind of a robot strato bomber and starts doing some maneuvers to test out that his plane's doing okay, doing some, like some barrel rolls and other things like that. Just sends all the passengers flying. Air traffic control sends out a message to nearby spy, uh, sky spy droids to check out this situation, and that includes Chatterbox. So we're back at the present, and Howard Quartz gets the call. We got to save those passengers, and Rojaws and Hammerstein are just the bots to do it. Send in the, the Robusters. Robusters are go! That <laughs> definitely would be the cartoon caption. Absolutely. <laughs> so there's more ads between Robusters, mostly just for different comic shops. There's a Odyssey 7, Fantasy World, and some Virgin Mega Stores. Then an ad for the Judge Dredd Mega Special, which we'll be discussing later this week. Cool. Yeah, good times. It's it, it, it's a pretty fun one too. It's got um this one story where this one dude uh, falls off a, fl- a floating restaurant in Mega City One and hits like twenty people on his way down. It's pretty awesome. I uh, uh, can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, we I I knew right away because Ian Kennedy is drawing this comic. That means there's going to be some plain stuff, and we get it here as a massive seven ninety seven dude does some sweet loop to loops <laughs> and things like that. <laughs> Ian Kennedy's so good at drawing like spaceships and planes and stuff. But because he's so good at it, it also means that if he's not the regular artist, if you see him on there, it means, oh, yes, there's going to be plane stuff this time. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, meanwhile, Rojas and Hammerstein are speeding towards the plane on the nose section of the pr- of the Praying Mantis. There's some stuff with the Praying Mantis, just different sections of it doing different stuff. I forget what it all is. Like, I, it's a, it was this funny thing in, in 2000 AD itself because mm-hmm. they had this multi-week feature of diagrams talking about different stuff in the Praying Mantis and things like all this, all the cool things it can do. And then as soon as they finished that feature, they had a, the, we got to the story, uh, the fall and rise of Rojas and Hammerstein and the opening part of that story is completely destroying the Praying Mantis. So I like, oh, oh, okay. we had all that for nothing. Nah, <laughs> it's such a cool step. That's yeah, good. <laughs> It's, you know, it's got that very, like, I mean, Thunderbirds and kind of Voltron-y thing of just one ship that breaks up into a bunch of different ships with specialized abilities and things like that. Right. It has sold, it has sold tons of toys. <laughs> you know, missed opportunity, you know? Right. Eventually, I'm calling right now for a uh, a Robusters cartoon right now. Yeah. Do man. it. Make it Netflix. Netflix. Make it Netflix. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Dread TV show. No way. I'm doing that. I'm doing that uh, meme where like Drake's like no to the Dread show. Like, yes to the Robusters. Robusters show. featuring Dread. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so, so in this no section, they swing out of this vehicle and come blasting through the glass viewing ceiling of the plane, Batman style, which doesn't seem safe. Like no. for for both like just glass falling on it on like the crowded like passenger cabin and just now this supersonic plane is like a hole in the roof that doesn't seem good either. It's going Mach seven, <laughs> or at least they said it was. It probably yeah. isn't anymore, but still, that's bad. <laughs> They're high what up. If he does another barrel roll. <laughs> oh well. Um, oh yeah, that's true. Oh my gosh. Anyway, yeah, collateral Hume damage. That's yeah. What it is. They've got to get to the pilot, but they have to be careful because some of the passengers have developed a case of robophobia and are destroying all the stewardess bots. Oh, no. The uh, the uh, Rojas and Hammerstein are made of uh, sterner stuff, though. They wade in. Rojas clunks one of them on the head with a shovel. And then Ro- and then Hammerstein just threatens everybody else. And they're like, oh, my God, that guy's got guns. Like, we're just, let, Let's just be cool. <laughs> 
<laughs> At the cockpit, they're confronted by an anti-hijack shield, but they decide to reason. Um, Hammerstein can blow through it, but they try to reason with them first. Like the a top- good D and D party. That's how it should always happen. Yeah, like listen, <laughs> like let's let's at least try to use our charisma abilities before we start fighting. You know. We don't have six stats for nothing. Exactly. Oh, you know, listen, nowadays you get like, there's like, you know, all the all the cool spellcasters are also charisma based. Everybody can fight for who gets to talk. Shake my <laughs> fist once more. Black bards, clerics, paladins, warlocks, get out of here. Sorcerers, <laughs> they're all charisma based. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Good that's that's ultra nerd stuff. Don't don't mind me. Um <laughs> Anyway, Hammerstein and Rojas, bad at talking, fail this role, and <laughs> the pilot activates his kamikaze mode. Oh, no. Oh, no. Luckily, Hammerstein easily cuts through this door with his hip lasers, and they just blow Roger up right away. The plane's speeding for the ground. It's, there seems to be no way to fix it, but Hammerstein thinks fast and has that Mantis nose plane fly by, lower a rope so they can grab it and use it to drag the, pl- um, the plane upwards and adjust its trajectory. The day is saved! Huzzah! <laughs> but before Hammerstein will go out and greet the press and all that stuff, he demands to be repainted because his regular paint got burnt off with that fire stuff earlier in, in the story. So two days later, Hammerstein reads the newspaper about their rescue, but he's super bummed about it because Quartz had him repainted like a candy cane. <laughs> candy striped robot saves the day. And we see Hammerstein reading this newspaper as um as a Rojo stands behind him with like a, a Brillo brush, like scraping all the paints off all the paint off of his back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ooh, that quartz! <laughs> And then the uh, the final page is what we mentioned before, the traditional Forbidden Planet ad for collections of 2080 stories and t-shirts as well as other merch. And with that, Zane, mm. I have one question and one question for you, although it does have two parts. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that question is, uh, what were your top and bottom thrills for this, the 1988 sci-fi special? Oh, top and bottom thrills. So I had, I did like a few things in this. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I I kind of had trouble choosing right away um, because I really liked the uh, Venus Blue Jeans. Uh, the Pleasures of the Flesh was really uh, interesting. Yeah. Um, but eh, I wasn't feeling it as much as I was feeling Strontium Dog. So I'm definitely nice. going to pick Strontium Dog for my top. Excellent. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. That, I, mean, I, or, sorry, I mean, the I, art is so yeah. good. Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say maybe fun isn't the right word because of all the death but like a uh an intriguing one or something like that i don't know Sorry. yeah i i loved it because of the oh don't no no problem uh i loved it because the, the art for me looked really good even though you know it doesn't have its regular artist on board uh during this i thought yeah um, that's fine for sure hair in the the end of it was really cool i didn't with him losing his helmet in the fight and then like i really liked how they designed his uh his hair in that i thought it looked good Totally, because um, personally, I feel like his head's a little dorky, but <laughs> I don't it's, like his. Yeah, helmet. no, his, his helmet's not the strongest look for sure. Like, definitely, <laughs> definitely free flowing hair. Johnny Alpha is the superior Johnny Alpha. I think. I think we we we, we can all agree on that. Definitely. <laughs> uh, don't hunt me down. Oh no. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, bottom. Um, I'm. I thought about it, and I didn't want to pick. Originally, I didn't want to pick What's Up, Doc, for the bottom, but mm-hmm. I will because it just, the corny line at the end was <laughs> just like, 
kind of a letdown for me because I really wanted there to be more uh, mm-hmm. from that. Um, also, uh, when plants learn to talk, they actually speak in part sentences first, and uh, that's just not true what they've shown here. So, you know. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> learning so, learning so many mysterious things in the course of this special. I love it. Um, but uh, I, I, I had to, I had to. I was originally going to say Tyranny Rex, but when, but choosing it based on the fact that I didn't understand it didn't seem really fair. Um, so I, I decided to just step aside on that one. So, but so it's going to be What's Up Doc, which nice. is this something? Is this just supposed to be a future shock then? Yeah, this, this is, is just a future shock. Okay. So I picked the future shock. <laughs> That's fine. It's, it's different for specials, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like I like the uh like luckily and and this is something that speaks well of actually both specials this year is there's no text th- there's no real text story like there's one for Tyranny Rex but it's just a, a one pager you know yeah mm-hmm. so while I consider Future Shocks to be verboten in the regular episode in the special mm-hmm. they're fine it's the text story you can't pick because obviously that's the worst thing you know so you gotta yeah. gotta think about it a little bit <laughs> right right. Um, I guess the one thing I wasn't really used to was the art on Judge Dredd, but the story was really good on that. It's definitely um, a very unusual Dredd artist. And like, you know, I mean, these specials are really ground zero for sort of off-model drudges and things like that for mm-hmm. people who are still figuring out how to do the style um, um, drawing, yeah. ju- drawing dr- I just feel like, man, they didn't get his scowl. Like they had mm. uh, one close-up right in the beginning and he could have been just the the most upside down smile <laughs> ever right there. And he's just kind of confused. Yeah. That's, that's reasonable <laughs> for sure. I just, I love the, I love dreads frowns, man. Like, and the oh, picture yeah. of dread in the ad for the mega special is exactly what I love seeing with judge dread. Yeah. It's a solid, <laughs> solid Brian ball and uh, angry dread. Yeah. You want that horseshoe smile, that, that, that horseshoe frown from dread. Yeah. You know, that, that's the key. Yeah, that takes a lot of practice to get that. You know, thir- <laughs> thirty years on the streets. Um, <laughs> I I think for me, um, nah, I might join you with um, you know, what's up, Doc is my bottom. Um, mm-hmm. Just because it is just kind of the, this slight kind of future shock, and like you say, man, I would have loved if um, this had led to a plant rampage of some kind. Yeah. <laughs> like, if it had been teaching the other plants to communicate and then suddenly like they start like if Agent Fawn had ended up being right and the plants take over or something like right. that would have been great. Well, that's would have been the natural course of what would happen because, you know, plants that require shade need to be separated from plants that require sun because when they intermingle, then it's absolute chaos and they'll just kill everybody. Oh, no. So. Crepuscular plants. It's bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that that's my bottom for my top. I don't know. I, I do kind of like actually this Judge Dredd story just because it's so weird of like um, uh, earth spirits animating and stuff like that. I love when supernatural stuff gets into Judge Dredd just because it's so mm-hmm. like, because I, I, I'm always a fan that Judge Dredd is just this omni science fiction story. It's got aliens, it's got werewolves, it's got vampires, it's got robots, it's got time traveling, all that stuff. It's the everyman science yeah. fiction story. Like it's got <laughs> yeah. zombies, it's got warlocks, all everything all smashed together at once. Yeah, yeah, for so sure. That's close, but I think for um for my actual top, I think I might do the Tyranny Rex story actually because I thought it had oh. some some cool art. I really uh, like and provided some real insight into that character. 
that I think is really important. And so I, I just sort of was interested to see it. It's one that um, if I was going to recommend this annual, I would say you, you've got to check this out just for this um, Tyranny Rex backstory, I guess. Oh, heck yeah, for sure. Especially if you've already read everything prior to this and you missed the sci-fi special. Yeah, I feel like know. I it is filling in some blanks. Although I will, I, I'd say sort of co-best was the Venus Blue Jeans story, which, which I thought was really neat. And um, just had some really like Will Simpson doing some real great art in that one. That was really good as well. Yeah, uh, I did like that. That was yeah. good. Cool. Actually, pre- generally a pretty good special, I must say. Like you know, yeah, not I, a lot I of got, duds, which is good times. Yes. When I sat down to read it, I read it so quickly, I was like, "Whoa, it's done." <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's good. To, yeah, not a bad time at all. Excellent. And I hope everybody enjoyed this show as well as we enjoyed the special. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page on Twitter at spacespinner2k. Everything else is with spacespinner2000. We should be there. Zane, where can we find you online? What are you up to? I am still on Instagram doing photos of bad background characters from anime uh, <laughs> on Gambare Anime San. You can, if you follow me, uh, I've got some pictures of some really fun stuff, I think. And I'm trying to add to it all the time. And if you ever see anything out in the wild, snap a shot of it and send it to me and I'll put it on the, on the Instagram. Excellent. I'll link to that in the show notes. So please follow Zane on Instagram. It's good times. <laughs> And then come back on Friday as we take a look at the 1988 Judge Dredd Mega Special. It's the first Mega Special featuring stories with art by John Higgins and Will Smith and Will Simpson and a massive comic strip story by Ian Gibson. It's going to be a lot of fun. <gasps> yes, let's do this. It's going to be good. <laughs> got some uh, got some Mega City One freaks, which I always appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, I'm Conrad. There's Zane, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Splendid birthday. Birthday. Birthday.